Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lately, we have been introducing you to all the amazing products Ascent Nutrition has to offer. This week, I'm very excited to tell you about their full-spectrum hemp oil. Ascent Nutrition's full-spectrum hemp oil utilizes superior plant genetics and an organic proprietary blend of natural ingredients. Their hemp oil contains not only an abundance of CBD, but 119 other phytocannabinoids found within the spectrum of the hemp plant. According to the National Center of Biotechnology Information, this strain is the gold standard in hemp genome sequencing. Ascent also uses a unique method that ensures infusion of significantly more phytocannabinoids and CBD than all other competitors they tested against including most of the leading CBD companies. I challenge everyone in the audience that uses CBD, as well as those of you who may have tried other CBD options and didn't get any results, to try Ascent Nutrition's full-spectrum hemp oil, which is guaranteed to be much stronger and contains more phytonutrients than any others on the market. Just click the link in the description or visit GoAscentNutrition.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your entire purchase. Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Chaz of the Dead. First, a couple of announcements. If you have a business and you want to advertise with us, email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We have unbeatable pricing and packages, and we reach a huge audience. 
Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.news. This is home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. We feature all your favorite podcasts from our community there. We're always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, all podcast platforms. Rockfin is where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from all the creators on Rockfin. I think there's like 400 and counting. So you're going to get 400 creators premium content for only $10 a month. You can also create a free account. You're going to get access to tons of free content, including all our regular shows. You just go to rockfin.com slash fknplus to sign up or click that link in the description. Now, if you're ready to become self-sufficient and transform your own yard into a food forest, check out our friends at Food Forest Abundance. You can create a system of self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable no matter where you're starting from. Learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. If you're ready to go off-grid... Learn what systems to employ for water, food, and energy self-reliance, and live in full connection with your property and what you can produce. Get started with your very own food forest and have your own sustainable source of livelihood. You just click the link in the description, and you can use coupon code FORBIDDEN to get awesome discounts for your own food forest. Today, I want to welcome Chaz of the Dead. He has been investigating the paranormal and its connections with our consciousness for nearly a decade. Through cutting-edge research and controversial psychedelic experiments, he continues to push the buck of what it means to investigate the paranormal. Chaz, welcome. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Yeah, man, this is going to be fun. You don't you go down some incredible rabbit holes from paranormal and psychedelics to UFOs and a wide range of super high strangeness. Uh, today, I definitely want to get into your new book, Paranormal Expeditions, Hunt for the Friendship. Uh, I also want to get your insights into the paranormal in general, what we consider to be the nature of our reality, how it kind of affects our consciousness, and the kind of main importance that I believe is the definite connection to our consciousness. Uh, but this is your first time on. Tell us more about yourself, your background, and what led you down this strange path you're on. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a, a paranormal investigator, but I, as you kind of just touched on, kind of bend the definition of that a little bit. Um, you know, most people think your typical, like, Zach Baggins, tap out t-shirt, dude wearing black and yelling in an empty house at night. And I, I do love doing that. I'm not going to pretend like that isn't uh, a fun part of the job. Um, but I definitely branch out into just the general high strangeness, whether it's UFOs, um, Bigfoot, cryptids, poltergeists, whatever it may be. Um, that that general realm of where reality gets a little wonky. That's where I like to to focus my research and my uh, investigations. Um, and so doing so, um, I about. Almost two years ago now, I wrote my first book, Paranormal Expeditions, Hunt for the Friendship, um, as kind of just a, a project I had been working on, a, a case I had been investigating in Chile. And I had all this information and I didn't really know what to do with it. So I kind of put it out there and it unexpectedly uh, kind of took off and um, people started having me on podcasts and discussing this case and my work and all that. And 
um, it's been quite the journey ever since. Um, but I, I started out um, probably, wow, probably more than a decade now, um, you know, in my teen years as, as a hobbyist, you know, as most people I think do in this paranormal field, um, you know, just interested in like ghost hunts and tours and, you know, spooky stories and things like that. Um, and that stemmed from uh, having an experience myself. Um, as a child, I um, had moved into this room with my older brother. We had these built, just built these bunk beds and he went from this bottom bed to the top bunk. I moved into this, this bottom bed. And one night I fell out and woke up and saw this pair of red eyes staring back at me from under the bed and kind of like, like a Halloween graphic, like pointed upwards, like your classic pair of, you know, spooky red eyes. And being a kid, I hopped back in bed and put the blanket over my head. And, you know, I was safe till morning. Um, well, the next morning comes and I'm, you know, I'm young, but I'm rational. I'm like, okay, that must've been a toy or something electronic that like, you know, created that illusion. So I start cleaning out underneath my bed, which of course is unnatural thing for a child to do, <laughs> you know, and my older brother's watching me do this for a minute. And he's like, did you, did you see the red eyes too? Because he had had the exact same experience, um, wow. you know, a couple of weeks prior. And that for me was kind of like this aha moment, like, even the most scientific explanation would be, uh, well, you, you had a shared hallucination. You had a shared dream. Well, that in itself is still paranormal, right? There's no function in our understanding of, of physics and biology that explains just how that could fucking happen. And so for me, that was the moment where I was like, oh shit, you know, there's, you know, there's something to these stories. Like we, we can't just say, oh, it's a, a spooky story. It's not true. I lived one. It absolutely, these weird things absolutely do happen. And um, so that was kind of what, what sent me down the road. And I spent the rest of, you know, my, my youth kind of looking into weird things as a hobby. And uh, as I became a, 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 the young adult I am now, I started traveling around the world and bringing that hobby with me and interest with me. And uh, I've been uh, trying to bring crazy, weird stories to the forefront ever since. I love it, man. Right on. Uh, talk a little bit about your research and experiences with psychedelics and trying to integrate that into the realm of paranormal. I mean, I've used psychedelics for, for meditation and spiritual purposes, mm -hmm. not so much for ghost hunting purposes. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this new camp. There's not really a lot of us out there, but they're popping up um, where we are... We are investigating this psychedelic angle of the phenomenon. Um, and that's not to say there haven't been researchers out there before who have, you know, posited these ideas and concepts um, from both angles. You know, you have your, your Timothy Learys and stuff who have researched psychedelics and the strangeness associated with, with those. But on the reverse end, you have your Jacques Vallées and other researchers who have spent long time with the phenomenon, whether it's UFOs or whatever paranormal conclusions or issues and have come to the same conclusion that something psychedelics going on. Um, and so to test out that theory, I've, I've tried to, to carefully mix in some psychedelic experiments into my, my uh, paranormal research. Um, and the kind of first one, the first big 
hit was when I was doing a Ouija board, a series of Ouija board sessions while on magic mushrooms. Um, I was making these magic mushroom teas and, you know, I wanted to talk to an entity. Um, so, you know, I was like, fuck it, let's, let's do this. And of course, you know, there's a lot of people, I'm sure some people listening to this right now, their ears are burning when I said Ouija board. They're like, oh shit, this guy is like Satan's fleshlight. He's just a <laughs> demon walking around. He's fucked. Which I, I still get that all the time. Um, the Ouija board as we'll, we'll get into these concepts of why it's, it's about as powerful as you make it. Uh, um, yeah. So for me, I, I want to believe, but I, I definitely don't have that, that belief in me where I'm 100% sure I can say this thing's real. It's always at the back of my head being like, what if this is all bullshit? Um, so I take it you didn't become Satan's flashlight for, for using it. Well, I don't think so. Okay, um, that's good. That's I, a good I thing. I like a pretty chill guy, <laughs> I, I, I think. Um, yeah, it's always good not to be Satan's flashlight for sure. Yeah, you, you never know. Maybe living in this world, maybe this world is I, Satan's flashlight. You could be right, yeah. <laughs> Feels like that sometimes. Yeah, it does, um, man. So, so it was uh, was your experiments kind of inconclusive when it came to the, the Ouija board aspect? Well, it, it certainly did not merit the results I was expecting, right? I was thinking I was going to do kind of like a shamanistic kind of, you know, invocation, but with this, you know, Western modern tradition. Um, and I was definitely feeling the effects of these substances. And I did these experiments over the course of, of several weekends. Um, but during the actual Ouija board session, absolutely nothing would occur. There was no like strange movements, nothing, no EVPs, nothing like that in the your traditional paranormal evidence. But in the times between experiments, I started to see some UFOs. Um, there was the first one was right before I was, was drinking one of these teas and preparing for this experiment. You know, I had done my meditation and stuff. I saw this, this object, which I thought was a plane at first, but it wasn't blinking like they typically do. And it suddenly grew brighter and brighter and burst into several smaller objects, almost like a satellite re-entering and like exploding in a star Wars movie or some shit. It really intriguing kind of like, Oh shit. And being in Florida, I thought maybe, you know, a rocket or something blew up, you know, shit like that happens. Um, but I couldn't find any, any news articles, any news information, mainstream sources being like, yeah, that was a weird thing you saw in the sky. It was this super strange kind of one-off. Um, and a few weeks later, again, in between one of these experiments, I'm telling my friend um, about it. And he's kind of being like, okay, sure. Ouija boards, mushrooms, UFOs, wh whatever, <laughs> dude. And I'm like, all right, you know, fair enough. It does sound pretty crazy when I say it like that. And almost ironically, we start to hear this mechanic hum. And right above the tree line, this triangle-shaped craft, a light in each corner, one of these classic black triangle UFOs, just kind of hovers right above, above us. And it's low to the ground. Like, I got to hit it with a rock. It was right above the tree line. And it just kind of hovers there for a second and continues on. Um, and, you know, my friend of mine, he had never had a paranormal experience um, before that, that was, you know, just the one, one time he's ever seen some shit and he's completely, you know, changed. He's like, well, fuck UFOs are real. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, well, that's that, huh? <laughs> and it was this kind of 
for me, it was the moment where I kind of was like, okay, well, this is the area of research we got to focus on, you know, because before I had felt, you know, well, ghosts are ghosts and UFOs, maybe that's military technology, um, Bigfoot, maybe that's just a, a wild man in the woods. But after this experience and then through the following years of research, it seems that there is something in common between these things. And I'm not saying there are, there's a lot of um, the, the trickster theory out there that they're all the same phenomenon wearing different masks. Mm. And I think that's an interesting concept, but I'm not really sure enough that I want to take it that far necessarily. They all could be the same. Well, they could all be different things, but whatever facilitates them, whatever allows them to appear in our reality is the same process. And it's some kind of chemical process inside our brain that allows them to, to pop up um, and thereby interact with us. And again, I don't want to be this, this to be misconstrued as, oh, well, they're all in our heads. No, 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 no. They clearly can mutilate cattle. They can leave burn marks. Ghosts can move, you know, your furniture around and stack them up in crazy formations. Uh, there, there's a physical impact being left by these, these entities, these creatures, whatever you want to call them. But whatever is allowing us to interact with them is certainly psychedelic in some kind of nature. Um, and in my book, I explore that theory through pointing out these kind of key similarities between the psychedelic experience and the, the paranormal experience. Um, and there are, once you read them in the list, you're like, huh, <laughs> you know, you're like, shit, I didn't really think about it like that, but yeah, you're right. And yeah. it's definitely a, a lens that um, is uh, I think being applied more and more when it comes to, to trying to understand these things, especially when it comes to things like UFOs where we're, as a society becoming more conscious, more aware of, you know, something's going on. Um, and you know, what, what the fuck is it? We're, we're still up in the air. And again, I don't want to say it's definitely interdimensional psychic <laughs> travelers. It absolutely could be human military tech. In fact, I have a whole other side theory about it could literally be mundane human technology that has just been kept secret. Um, but even within that explanation, the operations of these craft would cause these psychedelic side effects. And again, so the, the psychedelic nature of the phenomenon is certainly an aspect that's real, it's consistent, um, but it's very, very seldomly studied. And so that's what I try. I try to expand on that as much as I can, you know, given legalities and things like <laughs> yeah. that uh, through my research. That's great, man. I think you're, you're on to something there. Uh, I, th I think for sure, 100 percent that whatever this phenomena is, it's all somehow not only connected to together, but it's connected the one uh, common denominator seems to be our consciousness, and it seems to be a very personal uh, phenomenon for each person that is experiencing it and it has links to their own personal uh, psyche and, and growth Absolutely. and personal uh, experiences, right? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the, the big um, similarities, I think, from the psychedelic experience to the paranormal experience is that 
the the reaction people have to those experiences. Uh, under psychedelics, we pretty much know that the genuine two reactions you get are, wow, this is awesome. I'm one with mother nature. You know, we're all the same, you know, this kind of union with the, the universe. Or people fucking hate it and they're absolutely terrified. <laughs> it's the worst experience they've ever had in their entire lives. This is pretty much the same you get interaction you get um, in particular with UFOs and Bigfoot. Um, ghosts, the, the gamut seems to be a little, you know, the gradient of reaction seems to be a little more uh, gray. But with Bigfoot and UFOs, specifically UFO abductions, you pretty much have those two reactions. Those are what people react. Like if they're abducted by aliens, probed and whatever, it's either one, the most terrifying, uncomfortable, horrible experience they've ever had. Or two, they come back with the, oh, they're here to save us. Mm. They're here to, we got to get rid of our nukes and we've got to it's love and light and that there's that whole Stephen Greer camp who believe the aliens are here to save us and they're gonna you know protect us and with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Unity, um, which again, it's very similar to the psychedelic experience. Bigfoot's the same way. Either he terrifies people, it's super scary, they saw a monster in the woods, or they saw this nature spirit. And it was this message from Mother Earth that, you know, we need to stop deforestation. Again, these two almost sides of the coin of how people rationalize and how they react to these situations are is identical to um to the psychedelic experience the the list goes on you know seeing strange worlds seeing like impossible architecture and impossible physics all those things again under psychedelics um, missing time that's something that occurs i i've experienced under psychedelics and yeah. Uh, you know, I thought I was staring at the wall for maybe five minutes and three hours have gone by. <laughs> You're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, what a waste of a trip that was. <laughs> um, but this, is, of course, is something that happens time and time again, especially in um, the UFO phenomenon. You know, people, Travis Walton was gone. He was missing for a week after he was zapped by a UFO in front of seven of his coworkers. Um, and they hauled ass out of there. The police thought they murdered him because, you know, the crazy UFO story they were telling. And seven days later, he's found walking down the uh, side of the road. And he thought only 20 minutes had passed. He thought he'd been gone for, you know, this, this small amount of time. 
Um, another situation, um, kind of the opposite situation happened in South America with Corporal Valdez. He was, um, again, he was leading a platoon on a training mission. So there were about seven, eight witnesses. Um, he walked off towards this light that had descended down on this hill. Um, the light vanished and he vanished with it. 15 minutes later, the light reappeared um, and the corporal was back. Corbel was terrified. He was muttering nonsense. He was like in and out of consciousness. But interestingly, his watch had been spun forward a week and he, the cleanly shaven corporal now had about a week's worth of stubble grown on his face. Um, and this was something that all of the soldiers that were there testified to. They brought in the local professor that night from a university to interview all of them. And um, it, it's a super well-documented case where again, we have this, fluctuation this this fuckery with time where something's going on and again i don't know what it is but it's sure of a hell of a coincidence that you have these same kind of reactions again with psychedelics there's people who have smoked salvia and have lived for decades inside of inanimate objects and they are like i was there for years and years and years and the, the trip itself only lasts 15 minutes um dmt again has, has that is almost always reported dmt uh, mm-hmm. a, a hit of um smokable dmt only lasts a few minutes but people go on incredibly long journeys uh, quite often in those few minutes uh again, something that happens in dreams as well so <laughs> um the uh <clears throat> the list continues of other things, but the the big parallels there that seem to pop up again and again and again are very similar to the psychedelic experience. And this is something that, you know, it sounds pretty out there, but it's something that was very well understood on this continent about a thousand years ago before Europeans arrived. You know, the, the shamans of the, the Americas had essentially a science built around not only the use of the, these substances, but interactions with the other shit out there. If you want to call them entities, if you want to call them spirits, there's a million words for them. But whatever it is, they were interacting with it. And again, using these substances to help and facilitate and, you know, in certain cases, dictate how these these entities operate and act. Um and of course, you have anecdotal evidence of, of that ability surviving to this day in, you know, far off societies or mm. secret societies who have kept these traditions. Um, but as far as the paranormal researcher goes, we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, taking shots in the dark, trying to recreate this science as, as best we can um, by just feeling it out trial and error <laughs> so yeah. it's going to be it's it's a process um and a lot of times it's not a productive one but it's it's something that i think uh in the long run um it's a vital what what we're the kind of research um me and some of my colleagues are are doing is is uh, a, a crucial first step to get us back to that that understanding that we've uh we've lost 
Yes, I think you're 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 spot on with that. I think plant medicines and psychedelics have a huge role to play in human consciousness evolution, spiritual evolution, and getting back in touch with what and who we really are and the entities that most likely surround us at all times, just beyond the spectrum mm-hmm. of our vision. Uh, but it's time to get into your book, man. I want to talk about this. This is great. Um, give us a synopsis of your book because this covers all the kind of high, strange, crazy shit that we're just talking talking about yeah so um the book uh paranormal expeditions hunt for the friendship um it was uh so i was you know i had all these theories and kind of all this research and ideas and experiments i'd been conducting but i wanted a a case where i could apply these theories like okay let's let's we have the popular theories, including my psychedelic theory. We have, you know, the ET theory. We have the human theory. We have all of these, you know, various explanations. So let's take them all and let's apply them to a, a case, but not just apply them to a case like you typically see. Let's go in the field and apply it. Um, and so I found a case in Chile, um, very underreported on in um, English language media there was a couple articles i think two or three in english that had been um you know made over the last three four decades that this case had been occurring um and so it was kind of this this untouched gem where i thought it it represented this great opportunity so the friendship is this group in southern chile um they're tall blonde humanoid looking people um, that claim to be extraterrestrials from the center of the universe. And their history is documented through these really weird interactions in these tiny, tiny port towns dotted through Patagonia in southern Chile. Um, and through these interactions, they've pieced together that this group lives on this island. They have this remote island base where they like mine minerals and do all kinds of weird scientific operations. Um, and they trade with like platinum coins and weird counterfeit money and all kinds of strange things. Um, but they always seem to be associated with UFOs. The people who interact with them shortly afterwards, you typically have a UFO interaction. Um, and the bulk of these sightings had occurred in the eighties. Um, but they had continued on into the two thousands, a sighting here and there and, Um, They would pop up in places outside of Patagonia. They would like show up at people's house, um, almost men in black style. Um, But again, when people would talk to them and interact with them, they'd have this sense of oneness with the universe, this sense of peace and interaction. Um, So uh, I decided to go down there and investigate, um, see if I could get into contact with the group. Um, I tried some psychedelic experiments to test out that theory. Um, I went to a former Nazi compound in the middle of the Andes to look into the human explanation. Of course, tall blonde scientists living in the middle of nowhere in South America is not actually that bizarre, (laughs) it turns out. Um, So I went to one of these former compounds, which is now kind of this weird German themed retreat um, and did some snooping around um and of course you know i interviewed uh dozens of people from chile which is a very ufo conscious culture they're like oh yeah ufos are real and they come to chile all the time 
Um, and it's true all all along the length of, of Chile, there's UFO hotspots and, and places where mass sightings have occurred. Um, and so it was this great opportunity to, to go down, do some field research. I was there for, for nearly three months um, tracking down leads and interviewing people. Um, and the, the accumulation of which is my uh, my first book there, Paranormal Expeditions, Hunt for the Friendship. Um, so it's a, a great story. The first half is just all of the research that went into collecting all the stories from the friendship, um, but also from Patagonia, all the other high strangeness from UFOs to lake monsters and all other weird shit that that pops up in that area. Um, and yes, then having the opportunity to go down there in person um, and uh, check out these various theories, you know, it, it was uh, quite the experience um, and people seem to uh, be enjoying it. So it was it was certainly uh, the little kickstart to uh, showing up on podcasts and talking about weird shit. So that's great, um, man. Now, what was yeah, the name of the little uh, breakaway type of uh, German town that, that you went to? So that was, they were formerly called Colonia Dignidad, or Dignity Colony. Um, but they've since renamed themselves to Villa Bavaria. Um, there's actually a Spanish language movie called Colonia Dignidad that's like, um, you know, it's a dramatic recreation of, you know, the story. But it's pretty spot on to how it, it happened um, and essentially it was set up by a former Nazi medic named Paul Schaefer. Um, and he was, uh, he followed the rat lines through the Vatican to, to Chile. And he set up this compound in the middle of the Andes, um, thousands of acres uh, at, in the middle of nowhere. I had to take a, a bus to a village and then just walk off on this guy's house, knock on the door. Cause this is what they told me in the, the, the town. They were like, well, go, go take this bus and go ask this guy. And he'll probably give you a ride if he's home. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well <laughs> I took the bus and I walked and knocked and he was home and he drove me a couple more hours into the Andes mountains um, and to this, this compound. And there's still a, a large barbed wire fence that um, again, stretches miles and miles i can't even imagine how long it is to encompass this compound um and i one of the days i was there i walked tried to, to find the cemetery and i took a wrong turn and i was walking for hours and the only reason i knew i was still on this this compound is occasionally I bump into that <laughs> chain link fence that surrounds it um and so during its operation it was in its prime during the pinochet regime uh, who was a Chilean military dictator who seized control with the help of the CIA. Um, he was uh, overthrew Allende, the socialist guy that was elected at the time. Um, and after, you know, he pretty easily cooed the government. He did all of these things to like make sure it couldn't happen to him. Um, including like he moved the Congress from Santiago to Valparaiso. He moved the like congressional building somewhere else. So you'd have to attack two cities instead of one if you were to overthrow the government. Uh, he did all these kind of like crazy military dictator stuff. Um, and one of the things he allowed was this uh, German colony. And um, when they wanted someone to disappear, they'd say, send them to the Germans and they drive them out to this compound and the, the Nazi officers there would interrogate them. 
and dump them. And to this day, they're suspected to be um, roughly 300 to 400 bodies buried out there that are un, unlocated, you know, in unmarked graves. Um, so this place operated as pretty much a clandestine torture execution facility oh, for shit. the Pinochet government um, for decades. Uh, all the meanwhile, um, they were rotating top Nazi brass through there. So if you were one of the more famous Nazis, um, you know, uh, your Mangalas, your your Eichmanns, um, if you wanted to live, if you didn't want to get kidnapped by Mossad agents, you wouldn't stay in one spot for too long. So you would you would hop around from these like, German communities that were set up throughout South America. Um, there was one in Porto Mont in Chile. Um, there's a big one. Um, uh, what's that called? Um, Bellario? No, there's a... I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but there's a really famous town in Argentina close to the, the Chilean border um, where they supposedly every year on Hitler's birthday, they would like meet at this hotel and have like a grand party. And supposedly Hitler lived in this mansion that you could only get to by boat. You had to take a boat across this lake. Um, supposedly. Did uh, you but find they, any the, evidence of like any of the Hitler claims? Um, so other than the the stories and the photos i didn't find any you know physical evidence of yeah. of anything no I, unfortunately i didn't find any long lost officers or anything like that <laughs> i did find some interesting um you know photos and things that suggest the villa bavaria might still have some shady ties to the government um but other than that uh my in-depth research was just like, huh, it's pretty weird, <laughs> you know, being there and experiencing it, um, snooping around at night, seeing if they were like trying to, cause you know, we, I showed up unannounced. So they didn't, if there was anything suspicious going on, they didn't really have any time to hide it. And so I kind of snooped around and didn't, didn't really see anything. I had some great German meals, great German beer. Um, it's like this German-themed retreat nowadays. Uh, the reason it collapsed is because Paul Schaefer was a child molester. And, you know, a certain amount of his victims finally were able to escape. Jesus. And um, they, um, you know, put out a warrant for him. And very interestingly enough, he jumped on the Nazi circuit. They and they did end up arresting him, but he was in Brazil again in one of these places that was known to like hide out Nazis. Um, and so, yeah, Mangala worked at the hospital in Villa Bavaria or Colonia Dignidad for a few months. And then he would hop over to Argentina and then he'd go back up to Brazil and they just keep rotating these, these top guys. Um, and so you know, in regards to the friendship case, it, it doesn't become too unbelievable that they maybe had a island somewhere in Patagonia with a similar, you know, situation set up. But of course, there's some other issues with that explanation as well. Um, Paul Schaefer, the, about the time of the collapse of his colony, was also the same time where the uh, friendship case was kind of hitting its peak. Um, and of course, this is kind of contradicting because 1980s, pretty long after the war, for a bunch of healthy, young looking, blonde scientists to be surviving so well in Patagonia. Again, it doesn't quite match up. 
And also we, we talked about the interactions with these entities, the, the, the group, a lot of people, uh, the majority of people report that sense of calmness, oneness, unity. And I've traveled, I've done backpacking across Europe, uh, Africa, I've been all over. Um, and I've met many a German person and I would never <laughs> describe any of them as irradiating a sense of oneness. <laughs> they're, they're nice people, they're nice yeah. people. But you can tell they're German. They're they're definitely it's not a it's it's not a people that is often described as as warm. So were the, uh, so the the friendship entities were they described as humanoid like fully humanoid? Besides, you know, probably just really good looking and maybe um, oh Nordic yeah, looking? they were your classic yeah they were your classic Nordic Pleiadian mm. kind of alien stereotype. Pretty much us, but sexier. Yeah, just like sexier. all oh, yeah. a tad sexier. Um, so again, it's, it's one of these bizarre cases and, you know, it ends up like a lot of these cases getting real crazy with psychic dolphins and, Oh, know, I got to hear about strange. psychic dolphins for sure, man. <laughs> what you got on <laughs> well, psychic dolphins? I, I may or may not have had a psychic dolphin experience oh, uh, <laughs> during the, the writing of this book. Um, I ended up towards the end without spoiling too much. I ended up shipwrecked, uh, while tripping on LSD, Holy shit. um, down in Patagonia. It's my kind of party, and man. Shit. There I need to join some, you next time. Well, there were some cheeky dolphins swimming around this Island. And that was the Island we were trying to get to, to, to do this psychedelic experiment. I had taken it on the boat, assuming I was going to be on that Island in like a few minutes and, you know, doing this, this experiment. Um, and there was this pair of dolphins swimming around the Island. And according to the friendship mythology, they're islands protected by psychic animals. Like they've got all these animals, trains, bats and dolphins and shit to like protect the island. And um, yeah, our, our engine stalled out. It stopped working um, very miraculously while trying to get to this island and while I was tripping balls. Wow. <laughs> and so we, we had to uh, uh, land on a nearby island, beach ourselves, set up a fire, and desperately hike around the island trying to get a, a cell phone signal until um, eventually we someone did and we got a towboat out there. Um, so no, it was it, it, it was quite the experience. It was quite an adventure, um, you know, uh, trying to trying to contact this group. I hope to uh, one day in the future go back down there and. Uh, Try again. Like many paranormal cases, there are... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. They're like a living thing, you know, just because I finished writing the book doesn't mean like it's done. Like I found more stories and things like that in relation to it. And you find actually, more um, recent stories that that kind of point to that this group may be still around. Well, one of the most interesting connections I found was that 
um, in the 1800s in the same region, just to the north a little in Chiloy, this kind of the start of Chilean Patagonia. Chiloy is kind of the island of, of witches and witchcraft and like mythology in Chile. It's kind of got this mystical rep reputation. And when you go there, you can tell, you understand why. A lot of like rolling fogs and it kind of almost looks like, you know, um, English moors and stuff and just beautiful islands and pristine, you know, blue water, but it, it has this kind of weird air to it. Um, and in the 1800s, there was this legend that of the um, this ghost ship, uh, Kalushe, um, and the like a league of witches and wizards would gather on this ship like once a month and they like flying Dutchman style, the ship would like hover around and like go to different ports and they'd make these deals and bargains with the locals. Um, again, it sounds almost spot on to the friendship just aged back a couple hundred years. You know, each member of the friendship was, they weren't witches and wizards, but they were scientists. They all had a special field and they were scientists beyond normal scientific needs. Right. So, so much so that they're, attributed to extraterrestrial um they're often associated with these ufos but most of the encounters actually run into them while they're on a yacht while they're on a boat and the ufo shows up shortly afterwards um so that was a super intriguing you know similarity that again culturally it seems like this has been in this region for much longer than, than just the, the eighties. Um, and then most recently I found a case in an old Jacques Vallée book, um, that was from the conquistadors, um, in, uh, in Chile from the 1500s. Um, so now back 500 years and it's a conquistador report. So it's not super reliable and you'll be able to find the part where it gets really unreliable as I tell it. Um, so keep that in mind. Yeah. But the gist of the story is that there was this, this war band of, of native Americans heading towards one of these Spanish settlements. And as they were about to cross this river, they said that a star had fell, fallen from the sky and out of it, this blonde woman stepped out. And she said, you got to surrender to the Spanish and convert to Christ. <laughs> and so according to the story. And so the Native Americans went instead of attacking the Spanish outpost, they all went and surrendered and asked to be converted to Christ. Um, so that story obviously is suspicious at best. Right. Um, but it shows this archetype of a blonde person walking out of a UFO is dating back to that, at least to the 1500s, where now maybe this, this group of, of warriors did surrender after witnessing something miraculous, or maybe they were captured shortly afterwards and they were like you'll never believe the crazy shit we saw right before you guys captured us and then they were like oh well that's clearly a sign from god please give us more money <laughs> you know spanish right. king thank you um they they might have twisted the that narrative but the fact that the archetype shows up that early is is super intriguing um, and unfortunately a lot of the native um you know traditions have been eliminated in that that region but not all of them and there are ones that well they don't speak of blonde entities there's it's super bizarre 
stuff going way far back to to bizarre cone-headed entities and um if you look at the art of the selk nam uh tribe from patagonia just looking up their tribal outfits and stuff you're like what the fuck like it's completely unique completely bizarre um spiritual uh culture that unfortunately most of it is is lost but i have a feeling if it was still around we might be able to find even more uh uh similarities of that story um... going deeper one of my researcher friends was just telling me that uh, not that long ago, the BBC did a little expedition to some ancient temples in Egypt, and they uncovered tons of glyphs and, and evidence that there were drawings of elongated skull and cone-headed people everywhere, and they completely just didn't come out with the findings about this. And they're just now kind of leaking some more of these pictures of you know glyphs with cone-headed people. So I think that, man, I think different types of either humans or humanoids uh, used to exist throughout our ancient past, where they were, they were big, where they were, they were small, whether they had cone heads, and they were most likely way more advanced than us, and uh, probably regular looking humans might have looked up to them as gods or, or different types of uh, you know powerful supernatural beings, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I try to stay away from some of the ancient alien stuff. I like to not discredit our our ancient ancestors. I think mm. a lot of what gets looked at, uh, <coughs> a lot of the ancient alien stuff is one underselling our ancestors, and two making the the false equivocation. So. I absolutely think that the the phenomenon, paranormal phenomenon, it's it's definitely been a part of the human experience for as long as we've been modern humans, at least, which is about three hundred sixty five hundred, wait, three hundred sixty five thousand years, yeah, something like that, roughly that long, as they say, or we've had the same brain capacity, mm-hmm. and if you like, look at early like human shit, like I think the first recorded written joke in histories about like a woman farting on a dick like we're we're definitely the same people as the ancient egyptians right and so we can build airplanes and shit like i definitely give them credit for building some shit we don't understand but that also means they've been seeing and interacting with these the same weird shit that we are currently um and so how much does that play into religion and cultural beliefs it's really it's really impossible to say like where it lands on you know on the scale um but we do know that it seems to be well we don't know but we it seems to be it is a cultural at least filter that goes over these things um and there's uh, a great case i'm working on in southern africa fingers crossed i'll be able to get out there um, next year and, and look into it in person. Um, but it's, it essentially follows one of these ghost lights and, you know, we've got the, they have them in Marfa, Texas. Um, there's the ghost lights in the Brown mountain. Um, you also have the Min Min lights in Australia. They're, they're a thing that again, occurs all across the globe. Um, but in this region in the Kalahari desert, um, in re- recent times, you have all of these light orbs and they're being called UFOs. And that's 
from like the 80s onward. It's this UFO. Before that, it was the ghost of the Kalahari. And you have colonists reporting your classic women in white kind of motifs, you know, these classical 1800s kind of ghost stories popping up around the same region. But interestingly, there's the swath, there's these two cities and the swath of farmland, arid land uh, between that um, doesn't have as much of a colonial history. Um, you know, it's still it's South Africa, so there's still some, but it, it's a little more culturally, um, you know, unique. Um, it has retained its culture a little more than some of these other regions. They also see this glowing light traveling across the desert at ridiculous speeds. But when they get close to it, it's always reported as a flying snake. Um, it's the flying snake of Namibia. And the snake has smoke coming out of its eyes. Um, it leaves these burn marks in the soot in places it's been. Again, very similar to UFOs. It always seems to leave puncture wounds on cattle, specifically sheep in the region, and leaving it completely drained of blood. Again, similar to cattle mutilations, but also to chupacabras, um, right? The, the double wounds drained of all blood. Again, happens all across South America. Um, but in this specific instance, it's seen as a snake. And again, the snake has this giant glowing light on its head. They always say, so from a distance, it looks like a light until you get close to it. And you can see that it's a giant flying snake. Um, it, it seems and to so interact really, with us like based on our, our understanding of technology, our belief of what's out there and what could possibly be. And it seems to evolve with our consciousness as, as we evolve and become something different throughout the ages, depending on what our level of understanding is witnessing it, right? Well, it, it could be an evolution or it could simply be a rationalization. And what I mean by that is it could be our, and I kind of tend to lean that way, um, is that it's whatever your belief system is, whatever your base knowledge is, you know, that pretty much dictates your reality. And so when you're looking at one of these objects that is outside of our acceptable, our knowable reality, your mind does its best to make sense of it again, very similar to what it does under psychedelic drugs. Um, and so that image you get is a, a best guess. And so I think for most people nowadays, that would be a UFO, right? We all kind of accept that UFOs are probably real. And so when you look at that light orb doing a weird thing, you're going to be like, Oh, it's probably a UFO, probably aliens. A hundred years ago, you would have been, you know, from that church based, afterlife focused reality, you're going to say, Oh, well, that's a ghost. You know, it must've been a sinner and they've, you know, or it's a, a spirit or whatever. Um, if you're, you're coming from a area like the Kalahari or the Amazon somewhere where you encounter lots of unknown and strange animals, it's a constant threat. You can maybe see a, a strange, creepy, unknowable animal. I think a lot of the modern day skinwalker sightings are a it's a new modern filter um, because you have a lot of people who don't believe in any of this stuff. Right. They don't believe in UFOs. They don't believe in ghosts. They don't believe in any of the any of that. Um, they might like the stories and stuff, but they have no 
you know, belief in it. And so they see one of these things and their mind desperately tries to apply an animal to it, right? It, well, maybe it's a deer. Well, that doesn't look like a deer. It's all fucked up in its limbs. Or maybe it's a, a coyote, but with manes, and, but it's too big. And like, again, you get mm-hmm. these really creepy, demorphed kind of animals because that's the only that your, your mind's desperately trying to fit whatever it is into mm-hmm. a framework that's knowable that's understandable um and so what does that mean oh fuck i don't know what it means <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, it's, man, think... I think uh, it's an interesting concept to consider i think that you know all these possibilities have to be uh, left on the table, and it's something very uh, prolific to consider, though, that, you know, just based on our own understanding, we could be seeing something totally different from the next person, and that happens all the time. Yeah, well, we, we all know it happens now. You can go on the internet and see that people are definitely living in a different reality than you are, um, but we also know it scientifically. And this is very interesting. It goes back to the Kalahari Desert with some of these remote people living in the bush there. They conducted this study, very simple study and concept, nine circles, eight of them are green, one of them is turquoise. And they asked those people in the Kalahari, which one of these circles is turquoise? And man, they struggled with that question. They were like, I can't, maybe it's that one. Maybe it's this one. I'm not really, hmm, maybe that one. And they, they got it right often, but not, it was closer to 50, 50. Um, then they had nine circles that are all green, except one of them's one, one slight shade different green uh, to you. And I, I can't fucking tell. Like it just looks the exact same. They're all green. Those Kalahari bush people could all 100% pick out the green circle. That was different. It was clear as day. Like, Oh, that one's different. What do you mean? Clearly that one's different. Um, and it 100%. And so, um, sure there's genetic stuff behind that, but most of that seems to be cultural. It goes back to another study via historians about how the color blue simply didn't exist in the ancient world. In Homer's Odyssey, he describes the sea as wine colored. There's never a mention of the color blue. And then I forget the date, but there's a date where um, scam likely always calling at the best time. (laughs) There's a date where um, uh, the modernized or this, this type of blue dye becomes like super popular. And then all of a sudden blues and everything you can, the word blue exists and it shows up um, and suddenly things are described as blue. Uh, There's interestingly a reverse example from China with the terracotta warriors. There's this thing called Han purple, which is this color that no longer exists. It's like this seventh color that would have been the seventh color on the, the color wheel and it physically doesn't exist anymore to the point where they've like brought in quantum scientists, quantum mechanic, m- m- machinists. I have no idea <laughs> what the term is. Yeah. But the point is people way, way smarter than I'll ever be to try to figure out where the fuck this color went. Um, so if you if you have a mind that can understand stuff like that, go check out the Han purple thing. Um, 
but it's yeah it's the situation where our reality absolutely is dependent on our biology and it's something that's missing in our current understanding of science um and it's until we we add that understanding to it i think we're we've hit this kind of wall um in the, when it comes to um stuff like ai i think it's more obvious right we there's this idea we can just keep crossing wires and eventually we'll have like a human brain but it seems like consciousness is not always local to the brain consciousness is something that seems to be a little more fluid than that we don't have an understanding of how that works we're not going to be able to code in a consciousness we can code in some pretty crazy replicas sure but there's this missing concept and it's the same issue in the ufo field i think we're we're absolutely missing that there's this biological angle to it and i don't mean that you know we've got a there's a you know an alien a biological alien from a different planet inside the ship i'm saying that whatever the phenomenon is let's step back and look at the information we know 100 percent uh, one something's happening Two, whatever it is, it is interested in our biology. I'm not going to say if it's biological or if it's whatever it is, it's certainly interested in our biology, right? And we know that through abductions. They're always probing butts and taking semen. It's eggs, medical experiments, almost always in the abduction phenomenon. Two, we have cattle mutilations, right? They're taking blood, lots of blood, lots of organs. They core out anuses, eyeballs, specific organ meats and things like that. And they, they, they take them. We don't know why, but we know that they're clearly interested in something inside of our biology. They're here gathering biological material for some reason. Um, That's one of the things we know. So, Again, we're missing this understanding of how does biology play into reality? And once we make that jump, once we make that understanding, we're going to have a lot, be a lot closer to um, answering these, these conundrums, to making the, the perfect slave robot <laughs> and yeah. to figuring out what these, these UFOs slash entities are. Yeah, it's like a, a a massive onion that you keep trying to unpeel, and there's like a non-existent center, and you just mm-hmm. keep getting different layers. Uh, man, earlier you mentioned something I want to hit on. You said uh, lake monsters became part of the investigation. What, what, tell us a little bit about the lake monsters. Uh, so Patagonia is, if you're into cryptids and cryptozoology, Patagonia is pro- move there. Like just, you'll never, you can go to a different lake every weekend and have a whole new story a whole new place to investigate it if you count um aquatic deities and stuff from local tradition then patagonia by far has the most aquatic cryptids you know by area in the entire world um from sea monsters lake monsters and a lot of them are your like typical plesiosaur you know like the loch ness monster you know, arch neck, uh, flippers, the whole deal. But some of them are super strange. You have the the corpo, the water hide, 
Um, and it looks like a splayed out cowhide pretty much, but it's got these two eyes on stalks and it has these like claws, this like sharp ridge to its edge. And it can pull people, it reportedly pulled a man and his horse into the lake and just like, like blanketed over them and sucked them in in front of these other two um, cowboys who are like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck was that? Um, pulled them on the water never seen again um and back in the 18 late 1800s early 1900s in the like golden day of cryptozoology where it was like an actual job the smithsonian was sending expeditions down there um pretty often to like try to find these you know believed to be last animals there were searches for giant sloths there were searches for all kinds of of things by really like the most legitimate scientists of their day and age um were were going down there looking for these these crazy creatures um and again it seems to be the these these things um, you know, people say they, they crowd to certain in areas, window areas and things like that. But the more and more I do my research is I think they, they crowd around the peripheries of our society. Anywhere we, we are at the edges of our society, these things will hang out. And that edge could be in an abandoned structure in downtown or it could be the lake up the mountain. Um, it, it's again, it's part of the human experience. It's part of whatever is creating the reality around us. Um, there are these weird artifacts that are kind of stitched into the fabric, um, that are, you know, unknowable. Um, and I think the, the lake monster conundrum is one of the best, you know, facets of that. That's why I always, uh, include Bigfoot and, stuff i'm looking into he's he's one of the big three and a lot of people are like oh really bigfoot like they're all on board with ufos you know a little less on the ghosts but a good amount and then bigfoot people are like oh fucking bigfoot man (laughs) because he is he's a silly goofball but i think that's why he's important to include because it's weird it's something that's again it's Something that, one, there is a bizarre amount of shoddy physical evidence, but something to leave in those footprints, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's having an interaction, you know, rocks and things are being thrown, sounds are being created. It's very similar to poltergeist cases in most situations, I find, um, that is tends to be what's going on. And again, there's a lot of good theories out there that poltergeists are generated you know, by side effect of human psi phenomenon. Um, And perhaps these things are too. Perhaps it is a physical alteration of time and where we're looking back into the things that existed in the past or perhaps will exist in the future. Um, (coughs) 
Go ahead. We know that there are clandestine and three-letter agency groups and black government projects that are, have been looking into paranormal phenomena, UFOs, all of this stuff for a very long time, and we don't ever get any real answers from them. It seems like in the past few years we've had more than, than ever, but, you know, of course, uh, the, the government media don't have the best track record of ever telling the truth about anything, yeah. so um, that's not a good source that I'd like to hear my UFO information from. But still, it's very interesting, the timing and the information and the uh, strategically placed uh, former three-letter agency and uh, counterintelligence officers into the UFO community to let us know Mm -hmm. that it's definitely real now. And, you know, it just makes me wonder why, why them, why now, and what are your thoughts? What do you think is going on with the mainstream uh, disclosure, if you want to call it that? Yeah, that's that's a the question that's on the the forefront of everyone's minds, and um, I think it's interesting. I tend to lean to the direction that, um, well, I, I first like to remind people that this isn't the first time they did UFO hearings before, and again, nothing happened, um, and that tends to be that in that instance if we are to believe people, um, well, the people around that first instance, J. Allen Hynek and some of the, you know, third party professors and scientists involved were a little more believable. And it seems that that was shut down because our politics tend to be a little evangelical. You got a lot of Christians in office who don't quite like the, you know, allocation of uh, funds on this kind of research. Um, Totally fine to blow up people in different countries, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> God sure. forbid you research Satan. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> and I tend to, to think that's probably what's going to happen with our modern disclosure. I think that, you know, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, as a, a professional paranormal investigator, you can assume I don't make a lot of money. Uh, and that would be a fair assumption. And I am also concerned about the cost of gas and food and shit. And so I would like that to probably be fixed before they <laughs> they do more UFO shit. If I'm just being honest. Right, right, yeah. Um, I might be a little worried they're taking my job, but <laughs> I'm mostly worried about, you know, feeding myself. Yeah, leave the UFO uh, stuff to us and uh, maybe take care of the planet, guys, and get us in a, out of this shitty uh, shithole situation that you put us in. I don't know. <laughs> right, yeah. Pretty soon they're going to stop, whatever the UFOs, they're going to stop showing up here because we're, we're turning pretty backwater. <laughs> we're, right. we're, we're de-evolving uh, pretty quick here if we don't catch ourselves. Um, but, of course, when it comes to the motive, why are they doing this, it's either one, there's two possibilities. They're, they either don't know what's going on at all, which is, there's potential. And we kind of talked about for the last hour why that might be true. If, if the stuff I'm talking about is true, the psychedelic theories and things like that, mm. then yeah, the government, they probably have a little more information, but not much. They probably haven't made much progress just because again we don't have the scientific framework to make progress on it quite yet um two they do know what's going on um and if that's the case then i would probably lean towards it being human 
activity and craft. Uh, I like to think of it as a, what I like to call a civ move. If you've ever played the game Civilization, <laughs> um, I put in a lot of hours on Civ Five, and sometimes you you know you got to make a, you, you know you got to do some you make maybe you make a police state to get your happiness up. You know you you make some moves every once in a while that seem weird. Yeah, but they there's a logic behind it. And if these craft are human designed craft and we've been doing this weird Cold War UFO battle against each other for however many years, this could simply be them changing the game, changing the rules of the game, being like, okay, well, we're going to come public with the UFOs. And now you're going to have to explain to your governments and your people why you've been keeping it secret for so long <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. they're gonna be like fuck it we'll, we'll we'll now we're playing in the open no more secret shit it could simply be a move to switch up the games we've just stalemated our ufo conflict for whatever reason um which could be the case um and then there's always that third possibility where a combination of those things could be true. These craft could be craft from somewhere else, different dimensions, different planets, and we've blown one up and captured it. Um, and so we do have, there is a, a higher understanding, you know, at play that we don't know about. Um, if that's the case, then I doubt we'll know much more. Um, Again, it, it, this there's a problem uh, with admitting that you don't know anything. Is it doesn't look very good. Yeah. Um, well, me coming from a more conspiratorial aspect of it is sometimes I look at it as this is a a. a spiritual phenomenon it's a consciousness growth and development and evolution phenomenon and it's it's a very personal for us as humans and i think it's here for us to evolve and i think there's certain factions and certain people out there that don't want human evolution they want to keep it for themselves or they want a technical uh you know transhuman evolution where we're merged with machines and it's not a natural type of human evolution mm -hmm. that these beings may be pushing for in a certain way and you know that they they put their their own narratives forward so we don't look at what could really be happening. I don't know. I think about that sometimes, too. Yeah, I, I definitely I do think that, um, you know, the secret societies that a lot of these, um, you know, government officials and, you know, elite members of society um, subscribe to, they do do weird psychedelic experiments and shit like in secret and that's just known like secret societies that's why they became secret in the first place was because they were doing weird shit like that behind closed doors um so that it isn't um you know i don't think really that conspiratorial that crazy um the the issue is that we tend to do this thing where we subscribe to the notion of like good entities and bad entities and of th that's one of those cultural lenses that is definitely burned into us, you know, whether or not you go to church, if you go to church, you're stuck with it. Like it's really hard not to think of things as like good and evil. Um, but even if you are like raised an atheist, if you watch Disney movies and shit as a kid, <laughs> you're still going to develop with that concept of good versus evil. Um, and that doesn't seem 
to be an accurate notion when realistically observing these entities. Um, they seem to be, if, if we want to subscribe a personality to them, I think the trickster model is still the best. They seem to be little fuckers. <laughs> like, I don't want to, they're not necessarily evil. Mm. Like, they're like here to destroy humanity and subjugate us. Doesn't seem to be their goal. Their goal seems to be more just fucking with people and like, make, like look at this guy. He looks like an asshole. <laughs> that seems to be like the end goal of lots of poltergeists. Lots of aliens who like are channeling, you know, are channeled throughout. Mm -hmm. A lot of times these people will receive legitimate information at the start. And then as they kind of get strung along and they like listen more and more at the end of their, you know, path, they sound like lunatics and they're talking about crazy nonsensical stuff. That actually happened in the friendship case with one of the best witnesses ernesto de la fuente he was miraculously uh, cured of a lung ailment after visiting the friendship medical record like x-rays showing there was a thing in his lungs and then there wasn't a thing in his lungs really intriguing stuff and he was like yeah i showed up to this island and like i don't really remember much i like didn't think i was there that long but i guess i was gone the whole weekend and um yeah well i'm cured now and later on in his life, that's when the stories of psychic dolphins and like, you know, telepathic bats and like all kinds of crazy stuff. And again, supposedly he was in contact with the, this group throughout and it got crazier and wackier and crazier and wackier. Yeah. And so it seems to be, again, almost like a condition that, you know, lines up with people once you start interacting with these entities that makes me um, think of uh one more interesting aspect i want to bring up i had dr gregor little on not that long ago and he talked ooh. about this uh native oh, yeah. american gentleman that he was interviewing for his new book origin of the gods who said that these little blue entities would torture him they'd be trickster entities they'd be like coming out of the walls and tickling him and keeping him up at night and just doing all these little ooh. shitty things to him until eventually he just gave in and kind of accepted it and uh, kind of embraced these little tricksters mm -hmm. and then they gave him profound cosmic wisdom they like gave him all these beautiful uh the thoughts of you know uh evolution and knowledge and where he's going right. and and it, it helped his evolution and where he was spiritually uh, in the long run because he kind of realized that they were indeed tricksters but they were there to serve a purpose to get you past that and kind of see past the deception and onto the truth and like you were saying with many people who probably do channeling they accept that deception as what it is is what they're mm -hmm. presented and they go out and think they're like savior of the universe or something and that everybody has to listen to him so i think yeah, there's a Stephen level Greer, yeah where you have to get past the bs and deception of the trickster uh, aspect of it till you get to the truth and you know that could be another layer of this yeah it, and we as society always recognize it like when a group of people buys into the narrative into the the shit and we usually attribute it to a person you know jim jones marshall applewhite these cult leaders but those people usually attribute it to spirit right usually attribute it to something else and i'm sure the large majority of them are just human beings being awful but i 
I think a lot of them are also talking to something, Mm -hmm. whether that's an entity they've manifested from their own subconsciousness, or if it is a piece of disincarnate information, you know, that exists out there somewhere that they've, they've tapped into. Does it mean that information's true or right or accurate? No, objectively. So we can look at throughout history that most of the time, those things are full of shit every once in a while the right we have that all the way back in you know ancient greece the oracle at delphi she nailed it (laughs) you know we still talk about it however many thousand years later it happens every once in a while a psychic solves a murder 99.9 percent of the time when a psychic calls with a fucking tip it's nonsense it's useless but every once in a while it happens and so the information's out there we tend to put a quality on it ourselves, uh, human nature. We do the pareidolia thing. We find the face in these this, this random bits of information. We paint it with a personality. And for whatever reason, doing that seems to embolden it. And you have that in poltergeist cases as well, where you, you know, give the na- name, a, give the weird phenomenon a name and start treating it like it's a person and it starts happening more. Yeah. Um, And again, these could be manifestations of our own weird psychic abilities, Um, or it could be a combination of that and collecting what I like to call disincarnate information. Because I don't, I think even calling them entities, we go too far because automatically we're giving them this kind of sentience. Like they're, they're out there and they're doing their own things and things like that. When it really seems like, you're picking words out of the ether. These kind of chunks of information pop out out of the ether. They're not coming from your mind or from a computer, the two ways we know information to be stored. They're coming from some third other net that we don't understand yet. And sometimes that information's meaningful information, but the majority of the time it's nonsense. And a lot of people just use that for art. They like tap into that yeah. and that's art and it's creativeness. You know, you hear that all the time of people mm-hmm. saying characters didn't come from them. They got them, they, they came into them, um, things like that. But other times, for whatever reason, it seems to manifest physically. These chunks of information seem to, to be real information. Um, and again, for that to occur, there has to be at least a biological element at play right we have to be around <laughs> mm-hmm. to to experience it um and that you know kind of gets to that whole um if a tree falls in the forest old saying and if a tree falls in the forest doesn't make a sound absolutely because there's bugs and other trees and things there to experience right. that vibration but if a stone pillar falls on a dead planet with no atmosphere it absolutely doesn't make a sound because there's nothing there to experience the vibration, to experience the sound. Yeah, man, that that makes me just think about how much of people's reality is created if they're across the planet and they're watching a news story that in reality would never affect them. They'd never know about it. They never even know the things exist. But once they watch the news story, it kind of comes into existence. 
Yeah, I don't know. We lost something was lost, but we are back now, so it is all good. Awesome, man. Yeah, I was. You know, we were just talking about how you know our thought forms could could create um, what we conceive as entities and even realistic situations. I think uh, you know that plays into a lot of what we consider paranormal phenomena. And we got deep in this conversation, man. We're gonna have to definitely come back and do this again more often. This was fun. Uh, before you head out, let the audience know where they can find all your stuff. Um, so you can find all my stuff um, at chazofthedead.com um, and you can find me on all the social medias at chazofthedead. Um, no podcast in the work right now. Well, I got one in the works. I don't know when it's going to be out. Um, right now I'm writing for Paranormality Magazine. Um, you can find links to all that stuff on my website. Um, the book is Paranormal Expeditions Hunt for the Friendship. Um, it's available on Amazon. A second edition, though, is coming out pretty soon. Um, that'll have some little updates and stuff like that in it. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on the show. It was uh, a blast to uh, talk about all this stuff. Yeah, man. Like I said, we're going to have to definitely do it again. We barely scratch the surface of this uh, ever-unpeeling onion that we're trying to get to the center of. And that was uh, fantastic, and we'll definitely do it again soon. All right. Till next time, everyone, have an excellent evening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. We'll see you all then.